Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today's title is How to Respond to Forced Jabs, Despair, and Bill C4. Just before we get into that, though, I wanted to mention as a new feature of our podcast, we have a, a place where you can submit questions that may be featured in the podcast or answered in the future. And so if you want, you can go ahead and email us at ask, A-S-K, that's how it's spelled, at harvestwindsor.ca. So ask at harvestwindsor.ca and send those questions in. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can give some uh, feedback as well if you like, but specifically questions and then we'll hopefully spend some time getting to answer those so Aaron thanks for joining us today uh first question I have for you as we dive into this uh topic is forced vaccinations are almost certainly coming to Canada well they are (laughs) uh how is the government justifying this and how should we as Christians respond So people don't really like the word forced and so what the government of Quebec is doing one of Canada's largest provinces is they're coming up with this sneaky little penalty that they're going to impose upon the unjabbed. So Canada, as uh, our Canadian friends know, our American friends probably know, is divided into 10 provinces and three territories, and each province has its own healthcare system. And so when we see things like this happening in Canada, they generally differ from province to province. The problem is, is that one province often follows suit from other provinces. So if Ontario or Alberta or Quebec do things and the other provinces often follow suit. So what we've had this week, shocking news that in the province of Quebec, just to the east of Ontario, the premier of the province has decided that he is going to, quote, significantly, end quote, penalize the unvaccinated. He's imposing a tax. I mean, you wouldn't want to call it a fine because that sounds heinous. So we're going to call it a tax, but it's only for people that are unvaxxed. So it is heinous. And the, the, the objective is to force people into vaccination centers, the 10% or 15% or so that hasn't yet been vaxxed, to force them into the vaccination centers to get their first, second, third, and eventually fourth jabs. This obviously is absurd. It's the ultimate expression of statism and totalitarianism. If the state says we have absolute control over your body, Chris, that means they have control over everything, Mm -hmm. everything. Now think about how ridiculous this is. So I can be, I could be a prostitute spreading or contracting STIs. I could be a druggie injecting, snorting, smoking, any number of substances. I could be uh, HIV positive and spreading HIV to various sexual partners. I could be morbidly obese, you know, filling my face with 10,000 calories a day. I could be a couch potato. I could I could be involved in any number of overtly destructive lifestyles and no hospital in Canada would blink an eye if I showed up and needed health care. They wouldn't blink an eye. They wouldn't say, sir, how irresponsible of you to fill your face with food every day. How irresponsible of you to live a sexually promiscuous lifestyle. How irresponsible of, of you to uh, be injecting illegal substances into your body. They wouldn't blink an eye. I'd be welcome with open arms and I would be given health care. My taxes wouldn't go up. In fact, I could be a street bum doing absolutely nothing, not contributing a dime to the health care system, and I would still get free health care. But in Canada, if a person that's completely healthy, many of whom have already recovered from COVID-19, God forbid, if they're like, yeah, I'm not interested in getting the jab, suddenly they're going to be penalized significantly. I've heard, I think there was one place, was it down in Australia, $900 a month, up to $5,000, and then you go to jail? Hmm. Like, this is, this is absurdity. The healthcare system needs to be reminded, they serve us. This ridiculous rhetoric about overwhelming the healthcare system. The healthcare system's a disaster in Canada. And the reason why it's a disaster in Canada is because of socialism. 
because of socialism. I mean, it sounds great on paper. Let's create a system where everybody has equal access to healthcare. That sounds great on paper. Everybody chips in, you know, it's a common pot. That sounds great. It almost sounds Christian. In fact, many Christians were involved in the formation of this healthcare system. The problem is, is that the all-powerful omniscient state controls it. And the state is knowing is 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 sloppy with finances. We've had ICU issues for years and years and years in our own province. The system serves us. It's not my privilege to be able to go to the state. I pay good tax dollars for health care, which I rarely ever use, by the way. So it's being turned against us. And it reveals not only the problem of socialized health care, but fundamentally it it reveals this authority issue that we've been fighting against, which is that the state, the all-knowing, all-powerful state, actually believes that it has control over every single aspect of our lives. And the last frontier, if you will, once they say we have control of your property, we have control over the definitions of marriage, we have control over how you educate your kids, now we have control over you. We have control over your biological functions. But again, as I mentioned earlier, it's complete nonsense because it's it's it, it's discriminately applied. I was going to say indiscriminately, but that would be the opposite. It's discriminately yep. applied. I can act however I want and in whatever risky lifestyles I want, but I can be a perfectly healthy, COVID-immune Canadian citizen and living in the province of Quebec and I'm going to get fined mm-hmm. for not taking an experimental jab. By the way, let's just remind the listeners for which the manufacturers have drum roll, zero responsibility and zero liability. Zero. It's absurdity. Mm-hmm. This is the nonsense of our world. And yesterday I was seeing on the news there that New Brunswick's considering it. Alberta said that they won't. Doug Ford doesn't seem hot to the idea in Ontario, but we know yep. back in July, oh, no vax mandates, mm-hmm. no vax passports. And then all of a sudden September, oh yeah, okay, we're going to go vax. So you don't, you can't trust these people. Right. So that's the yep. circumstance that many people are finding themselves in in Canada. Unfortunately, the first day this was announced, about 7,000 cowards ran down to get their first shot. That's not a good read. If you want to get your first shot, you get your first shot because you think it's good for you. (laughs) You've done your research. You're willing to take the risk. You think it's necessary. But when you all run down to get your first shot at the local vaccine clinic because you're concerned about a tax, a fine, you've just made a decision for the rest of the province Mm -hmm. that is difficult. The more people that can stand up against this, the better. Mm Mm-hmm. What we what we find interesting is that the state says it's concerned about healthcare, but then, as you mentioned, it sometimes even opens up and advocates for lifestyles that are, of course, not healthy. So it's really more about going against the 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 Ten Commandments of the state, right? Yeah, Thou yeah. shalt be vaccinated. You went against it. Therefore, yeah, I mean, we'll 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 even spend money on killing babies, on medically assisted suicide, which are anything but necessary procedures. We'll help you with your gender reassignment surgery. How much money does that cost the taxpayers? Mm-hmm. We'll spend money on all kinds of nonsense. We'll pay hospital CEOs $300,000, $400,000 a year. I mean, the, the, the amount of waste in our system. By the way, many of our listeners are probably working in healthcare. I'm not attacking you. I'm not attacking you at all. But the reality is, Socialized healthcare has shown its ugly face. It's not good for citizens. It's not good for patients. And it is not good for healthcare workers either. It's not good for anybody. It has to go. We have to start seriously talking about alternative options. It's a disaster in our country. It's mismanaged. And it's another example of when the state controls something like healthcare, they always mess it up. Mm. Now, you and I had a good chat, I know, earlier this week talking about the need for people to stay focused on the real issues and not to be distracted on these um, secondary matters where, honestly, there tends to be a lot more conversation sometimes. So what would you say are the core issues and what are the secondary issues to address? Okay, so we just talked about forced vaccination. So forced vaccinations, that's two words. What should be of greater concern for us? Vaccinations 
or the word forced. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians are spending tar- far too much time talking about vaccines. Now, talking about vaccines is important. Okay, we should we should all give each other permission to have robust debate and conversations about these vaccines. I think it's pretty clear by now to everyone that's listening that the vaccines do have a very limited benefit to a cross section of the population and the vaccines have killed other members of the population. Both of those things are true. They've been helpful for some people and they've killed other people. People can talk about these issues. They can talk about the fact that viruses can still be spread through whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. In fact, there's increased talk about referring to the vaccination simply as a therapy, a therapeutic, Hmm. not as a true vaccine, but as a therapeutic. It just kind of helps for a little while. So we need to talk about this. We need to ask questions. Why aren't the why why is the health why are the health officials being not forthcoming about vaccination side effects? We need to talk about why are the vaccines being administered so rapidly? We need to talk about the long-term effects on the immune system. Okay, have at it. Let's have those conversations. They're all interesting. But the reality is, I, I think, and I know you agree with me because we already had this conversation off microphone. And that is that far too many people are focusing in on, are the vaccines good? Are the vaccines bad? Are the vaccines good? Are the vaccines bad? Look, the reality is some well-meaning, thoughtful Christian people are going to say, no, thank you. I don't want the vaccine or I don't need the vaccine. Other thoughtful, well-meaning Christians are going to say, I think it's okay. I'm going to get the vaccine. Some are going to feel comfortable with two shots and that's their red line. Other people are going to be like, keep keep the shots coming. Now, we can have differences of opinion with people on these issues, and we can still worship in the Christian church. We can still love each other, ultimately realizing that everyone is responsible for the outcomes of their decisions. So if you make a decision to get vaccinated, turns out to be a bad decision. You make a decision not to get vaccinated, turns out to be a bad decision. Look, we can respect the fact that people have to live with the consequences of those choices. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not closing the door And I don't think we should close the door to discussions about vaccines, but we should be concerned about the mandates. We should be concerned about the word forced. This is where, listen, every vaccinated believer, every unvaccinated believer should be kicking up a stink about these things. This is unacceptable for people that have been vaccinated to stand idly by while people that have not been vaccinated because the being vaccinated or unvaccinated in and of itself is not a sin issue. Mm-hmm. It's a disputable issue. It's a disputable issue. People are on both sides of the equation with regard to this. This is nothing new. There have been people that are genuinely opposed to vaccines of any sort. They've been around for decades. And there are people that get every vaccine that comes out. There are people that feel uncomfortable with medications from the establishment. Others that are more interested in naturopathic medicine. There's, there's differences of opinion among Christian people Mm -hmm. as to what pills you should take and what you should inject into your body, whether chemotherapy is good or bad. Look, these, these debates have been going around since as long as I can remember, since I was a little kid. And there's no reason to divide the church over these things. Mm -hmm. There's no reason, but all of us need to be opposed to the idea of vax mandates, forced vaccines. We all need to stand together on these issues. But what we see, there's, here's some interesting things that I've observed. I've seen, so I know some folks that are good, solid Christian people that have taken the vaccine, okay? And when the vaccine mandates came out, they're like, over my dead body, am I showing my vaccine certificate at some restaurant? There's no way I'm going to do it. So they're vaccinated, but on principle, they're opposed to vaccine mandates. So it's like, I'm not driving through the drive-thru and buying coffee from some establishment that's barring unvaccinated people from sitting inside, forget it. I'm not doing it. So that's great. That's what we want. That's a principled approach. Mm -hmm. But then strangely, I also know people that are unvaccinated that are opposed to the vaccine, still going through the drive-thrus or having fake vaccine certificates and eating in restaurants that are discriminating against people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't make sense. So what we want is we want vaccinated people and unvaccinated people to say, look, we know where this is going. We're not going to show our papers. Buzz off. We're not going to um, uh, abandon 
folks on the other side of the vaccine question. This is really, really important because here's what could happen. You could be wrong about vaccines, right? So you might be a pro-vaxxer and more and more science comes out. And you're like, you know what? That was a dumb idea. These vaccines are dangerous. These vaccines are not helpful. On the other hand, you might be an anti-vaxxer and then more science comes out, more time goes by and you're like, man, you know what? I think these vaccines are actually pretty good or other therapies that come out. So you could, you could, we all need to be humble enough to realize we could be right or wrong about vaccinations. But when it comes to forced vaccines or vaccine mandates, that's a black and white issue. That's just flat out wrong. That's the state claiming control over your bodily functions, over your bodily autonomy. That's reserved for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's reserved for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a sign of tyranny. So I want to kind of call my audience as best as I can to fight against the word forced, mm -hmm. <laughs> the word mandates, fines, have discussions about vaccines, post your, get your tweets out, get your information out there, have those robust discussions. But I, I'll tell you this, the vaccination issue is not a hill I'm going to die on. I have an opinion on it, a fairly strong opinion. That's not a hill I'm going to die on, but I would be prepared to die on the other hill, which is this idea of forcing people to inject things into their bodies against their will. That's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's always wrong. Any thoughtful Christian should see that as being wrong. And all the discriminatory practices and manipulation and coercion that surrounds that is also something we need to strongly speak out against. Mm -hmm. So one of the questions that comes to my mind immediately at that, and I know, no, we don't want to park here all our time, but real quick, what's the, what's the, uh, cause we talked several weeks ago about ethical uh, dilemmas where it's like, okay, I need to provide for my family. There's the only jobs that seem to be around are ones that seem to require me to show my passport or something like that. What's your advice to them? Because I know some people that are are literally they're like they're okay with the vaccine, but are yeah like sick to their stomach about the coercion that their employer is forcing down them, yeah. um, and may have made that decision already months ago. What would be your advice? Is it just about eating out? Okay, so this is a good question because when when people who have been vaccinated are are then asked to show their papers, it's going to be in two different settings. It's going to be sort of in their work, which if they don't show the papers could have massive implications on them economically and financially. And then it's going to be in non-essential areas like restaurants, like nobody has to eat at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. So they're, to, to speak first of all, to those that have been vaccinated who have the paperwork to go and support a restaurant to sit in a restaurant, I believe is wrong. I believe it's wrong. I believe you've done wrong to your brothers and sisters. When you're sitting in a restaurant, you're, you've shown your papers, you're actively participating in discrimination. You are funding these restaurants and other organizations that are participating in this discrimination and you're upsetting, you're discouraging, and you're not honoring your brothers and sisters that have been left out in the cold. So in my, in my opinion, from an ethical perspective, it's wrong for us to participate in any form of financial support for businesses and restaurants that support vaccine passports. Now, right now, the vaccine passport issue is kind of irrelevant because mm -hmm. all the restaurants are locked down again. Yeah, yeah. But I can tell you this, Chris, before God, I never spent a dime of my money in any of these businesses. As far as I know, I never spent a dime of my money in any of these businesses that support Vax passports. I didn't go through the drive-through of any company that has segregated seating inside. If I was driving down one of our highways here in Ontario and I'd go into the en route and I'm like, man, I'd like, like a steep tea or I'd like a coffee. I'd look over and they'd have you know, vaccinated people only are allowed in the restaurants. I'd use the washroom and I'd leave. I'd just stay thirsty. I'm not going to spend money on that. That's a principled approach. So to me, that that is fundamental. Mm -hmm. Before we talk about whether you should show the papers at work or not, it's, it's, it's not right for mm -hmm. people to participate in and support 
vac, uh, places that are promoting discrimination. Including churches. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. I, mean, that, <laughs> I would even call into question if that's a true church. Why would you? In fact, I actually like the fact that some quote unquote churches are asking for vax passports because that just tells you that's a church you're never going to want to go to. Just mm -hmm. stay away from it. I hope they close their doors because it's a fake church. It's a church that doesn't have the Lord in the throne. And their their conduct is virtue signaling. Their conduct, conduct is, this is why most of the churches that do that are left of left of left anyway when it comes to, mm -hmm. they don't believe in biblical inerrancy, biblical authority, or the sufficiency of scripture. So we have that. So when it comes to your employment, so let's say your 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 boss is saying, I need your paperwork to uh, demonstrate that you have been vaccinated in order to have continuing employment. So I would back up and say, okay, first of all, have you spoken out against that? Have you resisted that? Mm -hmm. Have you resisted it right up to the 11th hour? Have you done any, have you, have you, have you supported? Have you written letters? Have you called uh, the premier? Have you called your mayor? Have you talked to the ho hospital president or the, or the company president? Or did you just show your papers? If you just showed your papers, I think you've also done wrong. Mm -hmm. I think you've dishonored and been damaging to your brothers and sisters that have a different opinion consciously that are on the level of conscience that are losing their jobs. So we need to resist, we need to resist, we need to resist up to the last hour. In terms of, at, to use the language, at the 11th hour, do I show my papers? I would say that is a matter of conscience. Personally, I wouldn't do it. Hmm. Now, people might be saying, oh yeah, well, you're sitting behind your microphone there and, uh, you know, you're a pastor and the church supports you. So what do you have to worry about? Well, then you don't know me. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, I'd remind my audience that I was the first pastor in the entire dominion of Canada to be personally fined for opening his church. And I'm sitting on several hundreds of thousands of dollars of potential fines. So I'm a principled person. I'm not bragging about that. I just am. Personally, no matter what the cost, I wouldn't show my papers at work. I know myself well enough, well enough that before God, I would not feel comfortable producing my papers to keep my job, even if that meant losing my house and our family moving into a one-bedroom apartment. I refuse to do it mm -hmm. because on principle, I think it's disgusting. I think it's disgusting. And I also know that if I don't fight the fight now, we'll talk about this in a little bit, you haven't dodged the bullet, mm -hmm. right? People think they've dodged the bullet because they showed, no, they haven't dodged the bullet. The folks that have decided and I love, I love them, but the folks that have decided to show their papers to, to keep their employment, they're actually making it worse for themselves long-term. And I want to discuss that a little bit more mm -hmm. today. So that's, that's yeah. my approach. Um, you know, I can, I can speak for myself on that. I, I don't want to be judgmental, but I want to be clear and clear-minded. And um, that's kind of how I've processed things mm -hmm. through to the conclusions I've suggested. Yeah. Now, one of the things you mentioned, I know this Sunday in your sermon, and you're kind of bringing it up because you've, we've sensed it is despair in people. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then, so as we fight the issues of the day, I know we're talking about it because people are needing to guard their heart from despair. Um, and so can you talk to that for a little bit? Yeah, we have people that are, are depressed and find themselves just in a real bluesy state. We've had people like desperately... I've seen people with some very desperate posts on Facebook, just, you know, my life just unraveling, I'm falling apart, I can't handle it anymore. So some people are, that's their first response to pain and suffering, just despair. Other people's response is just seething anger, right? Just, mm -hmm. oh, I just want to go kill somebody. It's like, okay, chill out a little bit. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a common response as well. For, for many people, it's silence. I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to sit by the fire and drink a cup of hot cocoa and hope when I open my eyes, it goes away, right? Mm -hmm. They just, they just yeah. hide. They think hiding is, is the right response. And for others, they, they flee. It's like, I just got to get out of town. And I understand all those responses. I think on some level, I've, I've experienced all of those emotions. I think there's weakness to them if they're not truly of the Lord. So... Let's take anger, for example. There's righteous anger, there's unrighteous anger. What's the difference? Well, righteous anger is to guard the holiness of God. It's when you're, when you're upset about wrong being called right and right being called wrong. And it has a redemptive focus and goal behind it. 
But when it's just, when anger leads to hatred, bitterness, then the devil, the devil's using that anger to take you down. When it comes to fleeing, I understand the biblical principle. I've taught on this, that sometimes you need to pack your bags and get out of Dodge. But you also got to realize, you also have to think seriously about it. Are, am I actually leaving on principle or am I, am I leaving because, well, I, I just don't, I just don't want to fight the fight. Or I understand parents that say things like, well, I want to protect my children. Okay, I get that. But what about your grandchildren? What are you going to do? Because this disease, this wokeism, this godlessness, this statism, this is a disease. Mm -hmm. And it might not spread quite as fast as coronavirus, but it's spreading pretty fast. It will sweep through every Western nation. And if you flee, what you might be doing, I might propose this, you might be protecting your children, but you're actually not protecting your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren mm -hmm. because eventually it will come for you. It might take another 10 years. It might take a generation or two. But until Western civilization as a whole can collectively put the brake on this, it will come for you. If it doesn't come for you, it will come for your children. If somehow you're able to squeak them through to adulthood, it will come for your grandchildren. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine it's going to go too much longer than that. But if somehow you squeak them through, it will come for your great-grandchildren, right? Mm -hmm. So we have all these different responses. Despair. I understand reacting to the issues of the day and feeling upset about it, but I want to encourage people. Okay. This is where, look, the reality is the world is a disaster. We're living in a nightmare. That's our reality. So instead of sucking on our thumbs or curling up in a fetal position or running off into the boreal forests, what does the Bible say mm -hmm. about this kind of persecution and suffering? Well, Surprisingly, the Bible actually presents suffering for Christ and the things of righteousness as a blessing. This is a blessing. This is why I'm increasingly, by the day, little by little, at the same time, upset about what's going on in the world, and I'm kind of excited about it. I, I genuinely mean this. This is what the Lord has been doing in my life. Second Thessalonians is a guiding passage. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, it says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. We're seeing that in our church. Our faith is growing abundantly. And the love of everyone of you is for one another is increasing. We're seeing that where people are employing people that have lost jobs. We're, we're writing checks and sending out money to people that are, um, you know, without gainful employment. We're rallying around one another. goes on to say, therefore, we... We ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness. What a beautiful thing. And faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Notice present tense. They're enduring it now. But great things are happening. People are rejoicing in it. Lives are being impacted. This is, the, the passage goes on to say in verse 5, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. God is judging these nations. God is judging America. God is judging Canada. He's judging the UK. But we are responding to that in a worthy fashion. And we're thankful that we're on God's team. The fact that we're suffering and persecute, being persecuted proves in part that we're on God's team. Mm -hmm. So this is an exciting time to be a Christian. And then I was also thinking of Romans 5. Beginning of Romans 5, the second verse says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we stand in and on the grace of God. And we've accessed that grace, the grace of God, through faith. And then listen to this, Chris. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We're always a forward-thinking people. Mm -hmm. What despair does is it takes your eyes and it focuses them downward. Yep. You just stare at your feet. You stare at your navel. You just meditate upon the horizontal problems that you're in. But faith turns our head upwards. So we get to look at the future. We get to look at the face of God. We get to enjoy his presence. The passage goes on to say, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. So if I want hope, I need a modified character. And if I want a modified character, I need to learn to endure. And what is God's tool in a broken world that he uses to develop endurance? Suffering. Mm -hmm. 
So the more I think about this and meditate upon this through the eyes of faith, and I look around and see what God is doing, I'm very excited and blessed and privileged to be alive right now. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I wasn't born in the 1930s and you know died last week. <laughs> this is an exciting time to be alive. And we get to be on the front lines to defend the city of God, the kingdom of God from the attacks of the enemies. We get to be on the front lines. The first wave comes at the city gates. We get to be on the front lines. We're not going to show the enemy the tunnel into the city. We're not going to open the gates for them. If they overrun us and they kill us, so be it. It's for God's glory. God will bring other warriors to the gates to defend his purposes. Mm -hmm. But it's an exciting time to be alive. We've seen many, many people and so have other faithful churches. Uh, We've seen many people come to faith in Jesus Christ. We're planning another big baptism service in four or five weeks. And again, horizontal, yeah, we don't like what's going on in the world around us, but this is an exciting time to be a Christian. And frankly, if it all went away tomorrow, I'd probably miss it (laughs) because I have a suspicion that people would just kind of go back to that sort of complacent, quasi-committed, quasi-selfish Christianity that's been so crippling in the West for so long. Mm Mm-hmm. That kind of attitude is inspiring and quite honestly, very encouraging. And we need more of that. I think I know many people today, um, they would say they feel the language they might use is like, I feel pinned to the wall with all the changes that are coming. It's, it's changing day by day. Um, and so I'm curious what you've witnessed that, you know, are there responses? What are, how are people responding? And maybe very practically, how should we be responding to all of this? Yeah, so people are res- thoughtful. People are responding to this by themselves. S- some of our best leaders have left because they see the writing on the wall. It means we've. I was reminded by a friend recently as I was sort of mourning that fact. He's like, "Yeah, but it's because you've trained them well." <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, oh, that's <laughs> true." So um, some people will see the handwriting on the raw- wall and feel called elsewhere. And you know, we respect their choices. We mourn their loss. We respect their choices. Um, Most people are looking for guidance and direction from leaders. Um, I would say maybe the biggest mistake uh, people are making is to comply. They just comply. It's like, I don't have any other options. Pastor, I don't have any other options. I mean, I I have to get the two jabs, right? I have to submit the paperwork or I have to do what I'm told. Mm -hmm. And this is short-sightedness. This is like, oh, I dodged the bullet. Whew. I can cross the border to work or I can drive across town to work or I can fly to see my grandma or whatever. Okay. I understand that. Everyone's looking for relief when you're in pain, when you're in pain, what do you look for? Relief, Mm -hmm. right? You don't even necessarily look for the solution. Oh, I got this pain in my stomach. What do I want? I want relief. Okay. But at some point you got to figure out what's causing the pain because it might come back. So there's too many people that are short sighted. They're like, Oh, I dodged the bullet. Whoo. And, that, and they're just settling back into their comfy lives. Well, we dodged the bullet, we moved. Or we dodged the bullet, we, we got the vaccine. So back onto the hockey rink, back to work, back to the mall, back to the restaurants. This is not wise. This is not wise at all. You have not dodged the bullet. Statism is dangerous. It's a beast that when you feed it, it just grows. When you stroke it, it grows. It it is a beast that wants to literally gobble up all of Western civilization. And if you surrender to the beast, if you pay homage to it, if you comply to the beast, the beast will look at you and say, well, if they've paid homage to me in this area, I'm going to ask for more homage. So what kind of homage are we talking about? If they can force you against your conscience to get the jab or produce your papers for a virus that you already had and recovered from, or that has a 99.999% survival rate, if they can force you to do that, then they have you by the throat. Mm-hmm. And then when they come down, it's our, it was, hey, Windsor Star, our local paper was in the paper yesterday, climate change. Did you notice there's not as much lightning under lockdowns? Hmm. 
That's because when you lock people down, the climate gets better. What's just what's one of Justin Trudeau's greatest election goals or campaign points? Reduce climate emissions. Well, how long do you think it's be it's going to be before you're starting to hear in the news? Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, we have a climate crisis. Everybody has to do their part. You have to love your neighbor. So we're not going to completely ruin your life, but we're rationing kilometers. You're only going to be able to drive X number of kilometers. And that'll allow you to get to work and back. But if you think you're going to have extra kilometers to go to church on Sunday, think again. That's not essential. In fact, all Christians have already admitted, pretty much every Christian church in the country has admitted that in-person church is not essential. So if the world's falling apart and the ozone's collapsing, why would you go to church? After all, your work is much more important than that. So what happens when the climate crisis leads to climate lockdowns or we get through the Omicron variant, and then there's the Zeta, the Eta, the Theta, the Yoda, the Kappa, the Lambda, the Mu, Nux, the Omicron, Pyro, Sigma, Tau, Upsilon. What about all the other letters of the Greek alphabet? All the other variants that are going to come across the pond. You just, you, you, you fed the beast. Mm-hmm. You scratched him behind the ears. You said, yeah, you can do what you want with me. And now the beast has you, and you don't have a leg to stand on because... You helped create the beast. So bodily autonomy is the last move of a state that wants to own you. That's the last move. So how do we respond to this? Well, first of all, we have to stop complying with these statist edicts. Everybody has to stop. I'm not doing it. Forget it. I'm not doing it. We need to build up robust churches. So real, real, I was talking to some of our elders about this yesterday. One of my concerns is that as people don this mindset, well, I dodge the bullet, I'm sort of free and clear. Their goal is to just settle back into their life as normal and maybe shoot out a, th- a few Facebook texts here and there opposing some new move. This is not going to cut it. We need a radical change in the way we think as Christians. I'm increasingly convinced. I'm increasingly convinced we have to form these beachheads that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. People have to spend the money and the time. They need to, they need to start businesses, not, not six months from now, now. They need to start businesses now. They need to get out from these big, big corporations that are status corporations as much as possible. They need to employ godly people. They need to move to freedom areas that have um, the greatest potential for freedom. We have two elections this year. I'm still waiting. Who's running for provincial politics, folks? Who out there is going to run for one of these new parties that's starting? Uh, who's going to run for the, the provincial or the municipal election in the fall? We have to get people thinking differently. People have to get to places like Essex County, Ontario, North Waterloo, Lanark County, Southern Manitoba, the Edmonton area of Alberta. Move to these places. Move now. Mm-hmm. Move now. Move now. We need to build up these places. We need to expand the population. We need to start businesses. People need to live closer together. The vision is not to be like the Amish that are disconnected from culture. The vision is to live in proximity to other believers who actually get it Mm -hmm. and to employ each other, to help educate each other's children, to look out for each other, to, to take back and to start institutions that change culture, educational institutions, legal institutions, mm-hmm. medical institutions. This is the way forward. It seems radical, but tell me what other plan is going to work. This, this, is, this is what I'm absolutely convinced is the way forward because we have not an 18-month fight in front of us. We have a multi-generational fight in front of us. And I understand in every crisis, there's a brain drain. All the good people run off. Mm-hmm. Or at least most of them. You're still here, Chris. But, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but, um, you know, a lot of the good people run off. And I get it. I get it. But it's not very strategic long term. Mm-hmm. We have to build up these beachheads. We need to say enough's enough. And this actually threatens the beast. You know, if a big dog's running at you and you're just a scrawny little wretch, it's not going to be intimidated. Mm-hmm. But a big dog's not going to run at a, uh, a, uh, a row of 12 muscle men. It's mm-hmm. going to turn and run off. We growl back. Mm-hmm. So we have to growl back at the beast and push it away. 
And we have to stand together on these issues and we have to be courageous and bold and not back down. This is a word war largely. So we need to fight with our words, but we also need to band together and to support one another in business, in education, in um, you know economics and in politics for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Now, this may seem like a question that you've at, been asked over and over and over again, but just real quickly, someone out there probably listening is saying, yeah, yeah, okay, but I, I, I like the part about suffering well, I'll suffer well. I just, I'll just suffer well. It, we don't need to be strategic. Our God's kingdom's not of this world. And I know people have heard your answer on this. So, but real quickly in a couple of sentences, what would you say to that person? It's like, we just need to suffer well. And Jesus wouldn't have done this. Well, okay. This comes back to what the nature of the gospel is. So many evangelicals reduce the gospel down to your conversion. Mm-hmm. So it's justification by grace through faith alone and the all sufficient work of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And then you get your ticket to heaven and that's the gospel. Well, that's fundamental to the gospel. This is why we're here today. This is why we're saved and born again. But if you step back, the gospel more broadly is about the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. the message that Christ is king over all of creation, over the, the past, present, and the future. I mean, read Colossians 1. What other conclusion can you come to when it says that he, he has authority over all the thrones, all the dominions, all the rulers, all the authorities of the world, the visible ones, the invisible ones, mm-hmm. the ones that are part of the tangible creation, the ones that are part of the angelic order. Christ is King and Lord over all these things. And in your conversion, you, you admit that. You surrender to him. You confess your sins. You repent of your sins. You realize you have transgressed the King and you call out to him as your Lord. The gospel message is ultimately about the the lordship of Christ over all of creation. And so while in a broken world, God does use suffering to refine us and nourish us, you you don't participate in suffering. You don't want to contribute to suffering because ultimately this kind of suffering is because people are neglecting who the king is. Mm -hmm. They're not abiding by his creational laws, the laws of scripture. God's revelation is clear on what's right and wrong and who's in charge. And when when tyrants, for example, uh, step onto the scene and forbid people from working or forbid people from stewarding their own bodies or rob them of the right to make conscientious decisions about disputable matters, the, the lordship of Christ is actually at stake. You need to understand the theology behind this. The lordship of Christ, the kingship of Christ is at stake. It's being denied. So to, to sort of play this card, well, okay, we've been, we've been told to suffer, so therefore I'm just going to position myself for suffering. I'm going to contribute to suffering. No, that's wrongheaded. Mm-hmm. That's to fail. Listen to this. That's to fail to live out your creational stewardship, which is to represent the dominion of God on earth. So it's to fail to represent the purposes and the will and pattern of God on earth. And it's also a failure to stand for justice and righteousness, the younger generation, the generation that's going to come after that, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So at one and the same time, we rejoice in our suffering, but we also seek to reduce suffering in the world. Mm -hmm. So we don't whip ourselves like the... um, pilgrims of old did mm-hmm. thinking that suffering somehow was a wonderful and joyous thing that we, sh- we deliberately expose ourselves to. We, we speak out against slavery, abortion, tyranny. We speak out against unjust wars. We speak out against, you know, rapists and pedophiles and all the various sins that people commit. But at the same time, when we can't back out of it and we're victims of it, we embrace it and we allow God to teach us and to develop us through it. Mm-hmm. So in terms of strategy, well, I mean, that boils down to whether or not you want to just sort of get to heaven or you want to start living out the gospel in the here and now. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to live out the gospel in the here and now, then part of contributing to the expansion of Christ's, uh, the ex- not so much the expansion of Christ's kingship, but the expansion of people acknowledging his kingship is always in partnership with other believers. So we're not Lone Ranger Christians. We work together in these efforts. 
And just like if it's cold out, you put a coat on to protect yourself from the cold. Mm -hmm. Or if you're driving down the road and someone's driving in your lane, you swerve to get out of the way. You take basic evasive moves or protective moves to protect yourself from harm. We're just talking about the same thing on a broader strategic cultural level. Mm -hmm. To be strategic, to be protective of the resources God has given you requires some thought, requires some forethought. But what we can't do is we can't just uh, duck and run and we can't go passive. Uh, we can't go passive. This is the wrong wrong approach. Mm -hmm. So yeah. hopefully that that offers some insight and some some instruction for, for, for people. That's good. That was a couple more sentences than one yeah. or two lines. But you but know thank how I am. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Ask, I me start another, you. ask me another question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, many of our listeners will know, and if you don't know, you're hiding under a rock, but last week was a significant, and there's no puns there intended. <laughs> okay. Last week was a significant moment in our culture um, with the passing of Bill C4. And can you explain that and how we respond to it? I, I imagine most people know what that is by now, but... So Bill C4, um, Bill C4 used to be called Bill C6. It sort of died and it was resurrected. And on December the 1st, I believe it was, it was passed uh, through the House of Commons and went through the Senate and became law. I think it was around January the 8th, 2022. So this is a bill, a law, a piece of federal legislation that was passed in the country of Canada. I received a message from a person in Tasmania, so off the coast of Australia there, that said they're working on a similar bill. And she had heard me speak out against it through actually, it was, it's kind of interesting. I spoke out against it. Some Israeli publication picked up on it. She read the Israeli publication and messaged me from Tasmania. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> so um, that's just kind of a side thing. But the point is, is that it's Bill C4, but it's not Canada specific, right? Because this, the I'll explain it in a moment, but this bill is actually taking form in other countries as well, other mm. Western democracies. Yeah. So it's called Bill C-4. It's now law. It's called the Conversion Therapy Bill. Now, what's interesting about this is apparently 40, 50, 60 years ago or whatever, if someone was, let's say, a homosexual and went for counseling, they might be exposed to something like electroshock therapy. So it's like zzz, trying to run electricity through your body. I'm not exactly sure how it works, but run electricity through your body to change you from a homosexual orientation to let's say a heterosexual mm -hmm. orientation. And apparently in various contexts, it was offered coercively. So it's not like, oh yeah, I want this. So it was like, no, you're getting it. So the, then fast forward into the present that th that kind of treatment has not been offered in Canada for years. It just doesn't happen. It's it's a fake premise. But without really defining what conversion therapy is and explaining it, the powers that be, because of the LGBTQ plus activists, decide they're going to put this bill forward to ban conversion therapy in Canada. And the image people still have in their mind, I think, is some guy in a room getting electrodes hooked up to him you know, trying to change him into a heterosexual. But it's a false premise. It doesn't happen. So what, what happened is this bill was put forward. It was resisted by, I think, like 60 some odd members of parliament, our federal representatives, and some of the early versions of it, like Bill C-6. Then we go through the election, the start of the new parliament, and we have Bill C-4. So Bill C-4 takes conversion therapy, and now we find out what it really is about. Conversion therapy is not about opposing people getting electrodes hooked up to them. Conversion therapy is about banning the practice of counseling somebody who, let's say, is wants to, a man who wants to live as a woman, a woman that wants to live as a man, a person that's committing homosexual acts. It's banning counseling these people from conforming to their biological gender. Now that's my language, biological gender. The bill actually says the sex assigned at birth. Now this is really, really important. I just want to digress here a little bit. I've mentioned many times we're fighting a word war. Mm -hmm. We got here by lies, we get out by truth. 
So I want to give a couple of illustrations so people can be really keen in the way they listen and read. When you read the bill and it says, we're banning conversion therapy, essentially, that any counseling that's given to someone to encourage them to conform to the sex assigned them at birth, that's the language of the bill, what they're doing is they are actually admitting as a premise or proposing as a premise that sex, your gender, isn't objective. Someone arbitrarily assigned you a little M or a little F identifying you as a male or female when you were born because you had a penis or a vagina. Mm -hmm. They looked and said, this is a girl, this is a boy. So they put a little thing in your birth certificate. And instead of calling it your biological gender, which is much more scientific and objective, mm -hmm. they, they insert within the bill a little lie, a little lie, mm -hmm. which is to again forward this belief that many people have that your gender, your sex isn't objective. It isn't scientific. It's just mm -hmm. someone almost like arbitrarily said, oh, we're going to make this a boy and this a girl. Mm -hmm. So this is really interesting. I'll give you another example of this just from a different, uh, uh, based upon a different matter. So you'll notice in society today, there's a lot of uh, belittling of and shaming of anti-vaxxers. So anti-vaxxer. Now, if I were to ask you five years ago, what's an anti-vaxxer? I would say somebody that doesn't like or want vaccines. Yeah. So they that would be. They don't take vaccines. They don't take vaccines. They never take vaccines. Yep. They just, they're opposed to vaccines. If you go online and you type in definitions of anti-vaxxer, the Merriam-Webster's dictionary comes up and it, it literally says a person who opposes the use of vaccines or regulations mandating vaccination. So all of a sudden the definition has been expanded. So you could literally be a vaccinated anti-vaxxer. You could be a person who's vaccinated, but who opposes vaccine regulations and you're an anti-vaxxer. Mm -hmm. So this is a word war. Whoever controls the definitions controls the narrative. And what the lefties do, what the woke agenda does is they change the definitions. And if you're not a discriminant reader, you don't see it, you don't spot the lie you get duped into using their language. Mm -hmm. So we have, a, if a little boy is born with a penis and testicles, we say that is a male. Mm -hmm. If a little girl was born with a vagina, we say that's a female. Mm -hmm. We didn't make that decision. We're just observing the reality of their biology. Mm -hmm. That's their sex. It aligns with the creational view. God made them male and female, right? Mm -hmm. Same in the animal world, same in the, you know, the whole mammal world with humans, there's males and there's females. This has been part of quote unquote reality literally since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. We don't decide that. I don't, you don't assign it. Nobody gets assigned their gender or sex. It's innate to your biology. Mm -hmm. If you're born a certain way, you're a boy. If you're born a certain way, you're a girl. But when we say it's assigned then the authority that decides what your sex is, is in the person that first sees you. And if, and the idea is that if any point in the future, you decide, well, what they saw is not what they should have saw. Or the conclusion they drew is not what they should have drawn. Mm -hmm. You get to change it. And it's very sly because like, well, that makes sense. If I was born in 1973, which I was, and someone looked at me and said, he's a boy. What right do they have to decide that I'm a little boy? Because they just assigned it to mm -hmm. me. So I'm going to assign a different gender, a different sex to myself because I don't, I don't like that one. But no, nobody assigned my, my gender. God created me in his image and it was in his sovereign plan to create me male. Mm -hmm. That's just who I am. So we have to be really careful about these very subtle shifts. So anyway, Bill C-4 criminalizes any attempt to quote unquote convert. Mm -hmm. And by the way, that's a genius use of a word because convert is kind of has become a bad word. It's a biblical word. Mm -hmm. The conversion of a Christian is a biblical concept, but it, it has sort of a, a judgmental religious flavor to it. Mm -hmm. So almost like colonialism stuff too, like missionary stuff that's bad now because you're converting 
kind oh, of yeah, draws because, on that because as all well. colonialism is bad. Really? Right. Have you ever studied history? You just make the entire word bad. Mm -hmm. No, it's not bad. There's a lot of wonderful and glorious things that came out of colonialism. And of course, like, any human attempts to start cultures, to overtake cultures, to go to war, there's bad things that happen. Yep. But you almost make the word a swear word yep. and you win. So conversion has become a bad word. Mm -hmm. But it criminal. So what, what Bill C4 does is it criminalizes the attempt of pastors and Christians, counselors and therapists to sit down and have an honest conversation. So even if you were, quote unquote, struggling mm -hmm. with your gender identity, which is their language, you wanted to, someone was convincing you, Chris, that you should be a girl and you wanted to have a conversation with me about it. I'm not supposed to say anything. Mm -hmm. So it's a fake premise, fake definitions. But what's the worst thing about this is that it mythologizes the Bible. Yep. So in the preamble, it literally says, this is such a strange, this is such strange language to sneak into a, a federal bill. Because it's, it's clearly religious language, it's ideological language, it's philosophical language. It says, quote, including the myth, the myth that heterosexuality, cisgender gender identity, which is a stupid word, but cisgender means basically the language assigned or the gender assigned to you at birth. Mm -hmm. And gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions. This is a religious bill. This bill is saying that you have no business saying to someone, you should be a heterosexual. And if you do, you're actually propagating a myth. Mm -hmm. It has, you have no business saying to someone, heterosexuality is the preferred norm for human behavior. If you do, that's a myth. Okay, well, you might say you disagree with that, but to say it's a myth is to allow one side to win and the other side to lose. They have declared in this bill that the word of God is a myth. Think mm -hmm. about that. It's in federal law. Now, I think we have, what do we have, 338 MPs in the House of Commons? I think it's around that, over, well over 300. Not one single MP opposed it in its final presentation. Now, I did do a little research on this. There were a few that said we were going to oppose it, and there was like a four-second opportunity or some ridiculous, and we just didn't even get our hands. We didn't even know what was going on. We didn't get our hands up on time to oppose it. It just went right through. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the quote-unquote conservative party and the liberal party came and hugged and kissed and held hands or whatever they did in the middle of the House of Commons to celebrate, mm -hmm. you know, this glorious moment where the Bible in Canada has now been declared a myth. Mm -hmm. And the way Christians have defended this is, well, Aaron, like, <laughs> you're, not, you're not in favor of forced conversions, are you? Or forced? It's like, no, mm -hmm. that's not what the bill is about. Have you actually read it? Have you actually read it? Do you have any notion of what's going on in the world around you? I was thinking about this, Chris. Let's suppose, so obviously in Canada, you can't, an adult can't quote molest a child. Right. That's against the law. But what this bill does, think about the irony of all this or the conundrum that this creates, maybe a better way of saying it. If someone comes to me and says, okay, Pastor Rock, I, I want to have sex with children. I have desires to molest children. I'm, I have pedophile inclinations, but I'm not going to act on it. And I've never done it and I never would. I'm not allowed to say anything. Now, if they're molesting children, I'm still allowed to report them to the law and they can be arrested and incarcerated. Mm -hmm. But if they just have desires, according mm -hmm. to this bill, I can't even counsel a pedophile. That's a, that's a sexual uh, expression, a gender identity, a sexual orientation. That's what the bill says. I can't say, hey man, this is wrong. This is sinful. We need to overcome it. So it's interesting. Now I, I'm in a situation where the government is saying, well, the action, the action called child molestation mm -hmm. is a criminal offense, but the sexual orientation isn't. Well, think about that for a moment. Oh, so I'm allowed to think about it, desire it, want it, but I'm just not allowed to do it? Mm -hmm. Well, what's the next step? Well, if you look at the USA Today's Life tweets, which they apparently all deleted, 
they were sort of starting to roll up the narrative that people that are pedophiles, well, they're not necessarily people that abuse children. They're just people that are born with that inclination. So what, what we see in cultures, we're going to start to see a softening and an acceptance of pedophilia desires. Mm -hmm. And what's the next step? Then pedophilia is going to become legal because that's the exact same thing. That's the exact same train of argument we saw with the homosexual thing. Mm -hmm. Well, a person can be born that way. What are you going to speak out against that? You know, they're born that way. It's, it's, there's the, the, the gay gene. Remember back in the day, the gay gene. Oh, okay, the gay gene. They're just, just don't do it, but it's okay to feel it. Mm -hmm. Don't do it, but it's okay to feel it. And then once you convince people that you're not supposed to do it, but it's okay to feel it, well, then if you're feeling it, it's okay to do it. Mm -hmm. So what's to stop a pedophile in the future from being given permission to, let's say, have sex with children as young as 12? Why 12? Well, I can get an abortion at 12. I can go to Planned Parenthood in Toronto. It's on their website. If I'm 12 years old, I don't need parental permission. I can go to a vaccine clinic at 12. I have, bought, I have the choice of my own vaccination mm -hmm. status. I can go get a vaccine without telling my parent. So right now, if the age of consent is like 16 or 17 or whatever it is, why not reduce it to 12? You see how the whole house of cards, when, when a culture build, doesn't build its law an objective truth, mm. They contradict. There's holes all in it, like Swiss cheese. And eventually the whole house of cards comes down. Mm -hmm. So how do we respond to it? Well, number one, nothing changes when it comes to our preaching. Nothing changes. We continue to preach and teach and advocate for the truth. And if we have to suffer for that through incarceration or fines or public harassment or belittlement, we're prepared to do that. Mm -hmm. Everybody's prepared to do that, not just the preachers. Everybody's prepared to do that. Christian parents need to continue to tell the truth to yep. their children. Christian pastors need to continue to tell the truth to their people. That's the loving thing to do, actually. Mm -hmm. It's loving to tell people the truth if you understand that non-creational, non-biblical forms of sexual expression actually destroy us. Mm -hmm. So we continue to preach the truth. It changes nothing. We're also going to look to repeal it. We're going to continue to fight. And hopefully in the future at some point, it's it's repealed mm -hmm. or modified in some way. We will suffer if necessary. And in terms of initiatives, I know some churches last week got up and read a statement in in their churches stating that we're opposed to this. I think that's, that's a good thing. But we need to take it a step beyond that. Um, if we just limit our response to we're reading a statement and then we're just going to file it in the church, church archives. Well, that's, that's not going to change anything. Mm -hmm. You need to continue to act Christianly and biblically about these issues to speak the truth. And we're going to preach on it in our church on Sunday and help to inform people. And then in months and years to come, we're going to continue to teach people the truth. God has a plan for us. It's a beautiful plan. And we're not going to, we're not going to buckle. We're not going to surrender. We're not going to buy the lies. You know, there's a group, um, I don't remember what the name of it is. It's a group on social media and they're like, it's like a pro LGBT uh, group. And they're like, thank God the suffering has ended for us. You know, thank God that we, we we're finally out of the woods, this kind of language. It's like, come on. Mm -hmm. We know the game you're playing. We know. You have not been subjected to conversion therapy. You just don't want people challenging your sinful lifestyle. That mm. Okay, we see through the smoke in the mirrors, folks. Mm. And you can start your little anti-hate networks and hiss and threaten and take us to court. You change nothing. You change nothing. Because faithful Christians will continue to speak the truth, will speak in love, and we will continue to open our doors wide, especially for those that want to change, that are in the process of, of repenting. See, this is, this is the problem with the bill too. It, it disallows people that want to change, that are actually actively seeking counsel on how to change. We're not going to spend time screaming and yelling at the unrepentant. If they want to live in their sin, we're going to preach the truth. And if they want to stick their fingers in their ears and refuse to listen, fine. We're not going to cast our pearls before swine. We're not going to try to sow seed on rocky soil. But those that are ripe for harvest, those that are wanting to change, 
Uh, we're going to embrace them with the love of Christ because all of us are broken sexually by nature. And whether someone's an adulterer, a fornicator, a, a porn viewer, a pedophile, a homosexual, whatever it might be, I don't know of any human being that in all honesty can say, oh, I was, you know, I'm, I've always been a pure in terms of my sexuality. No, we're all broken. And by God's grace, people speak truth to us. And the spirit uses that truth to, con to convict us and to help us to change. So we're going to continue to do the world a favor mm -hmm. and to love our uh, neighbor by telling them the truth in this area and in all areas of life that the Bible gives us instruction in. Believing that our God is good mm -hmm. and everything our God says is for his glory and our benefit. And that's a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Aaron. Reminder to our listeners, if you have questions that maybe have come up as you've been listening to this podcast, you can email them in to ask, A-S-K, at harvestwindsor.ca. And we'd love to take those. Maybe we'll be able to answer them on a future podcast or send something as a response back. And uh, yeah, just also a reminder, you can find us on the CJXC Radio Canada's Constant Christian Companion at 11 a.m. on Thursdays, Tuesdays. Check that out as well. I think it's 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. Uh, one is the rebroadcast. And then also we're on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network app and their um, website. So download the app, get the uh, podcast there as well as some other great podcasts from Canadian pastors, some from our U.S. brothers as well. And that would be great. And tune in and please do make sure to share. If you haven't shared the podcast yet, uh, now's a good time to do so. Take this episode link, throw it on Facebook, throw it on Twitter, find a way, put it in your link, your bio link on Instagram or something, uh, get an opportunity to share it. And that would be a huge blessing to allow more people to hear and more people to engage. Thanks so much. Tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. <laughs>